0: All right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about Windfall, a little movie that came out to very little fanfare on Netflix a couple of weeks ago, from writer-director Charlie McDowell starring Jesse Plemons, Lily Collins, and Jason Segel. Uh, It's kind of a three-person little alone-in-a-house movie, obviously shot during the pandemic, uh, and I liked it a lot. I had no expectations going in. Uh, We did cover it on the uh, trailer episode, so we knew it was coming, but, uh, you know, nobody was talking about it, and now the reviews are out. People aren't exactly going crazy for it, but I had a lot of fun with it, and so I was very happy to get a chance to talk about it. Joining me is Josh Bell from Awesome Movie Year. Josh Bell, who has been here on the show many times in the past, and I'm always happy to have him back. So we've got that conversation coming up for you in a second. Make sure to watch Windfall before you get to it. We, of course, get into all the spoilers and all the... Things that happen in the movie. So, before we get to that conversation, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, Good Pods, wherever you're listening right now. You can find us there and click subscribe or follow or whatever the button is. And while you're clicking buttons, you can also hit five stars and maybe leave us a little nice review if you like what we do here on this show. And uh, you can also follow us on social media at Piecing Pod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And don't forget, we do have a Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, that combines bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, from Josh's podcast, Awesome Movie Year, and from my music career. Lots of great stuff over there, so check it out. It's patreon.com slash Rosen. So, with that said, let's talk about Windfall. All right, Josh Bell is back with us. Josh, how's it going? It's going all right. I'm being held
1: hostage in my home by a stranger <laughs> who's forcing me to do a podcast, but otherwise... A stranger otherwise, with messy hair,
0: yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, just uh, mm-hmm. was
1: startled in my home and yeah. forced to uh, talk about a movie, I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, Strange sometimes... Stuff. Sometimes that happens in the world of podcasting. It absolutely does. And, yeah. Uh, by the way, this is also, we're recording on Oscar Sunday. So, I mean, happy Oscar Sunday to those who celebrate, uh, you know. Yeah. I'm well, sure it's, it's going to be way
1: over by the time this is out, though, right?
0: I'm sure we'll all still be talking about it, though. By oh, now, God. So, I hope not. We <laughs> well, today we're talking about Windfall, a uh, new movie on Netflix, which, uh, I don't know, it feels like people don't like but I really liked it. You liked it maybe not as much as I did, but uh, I was happy to hear that you liked it because I thought it was great.
1: Yeah, I liked it quite a bit. And I didn't have high expectations for it between uh, Charlie McDowell, the director and co-writer, whose two previous films, which were both kind of like sci-fi things, I was disappointed in. Mm-hmm. And then I I wrote a review of this, so I had the screener in advance and Netflix had embargoed reviews until uh, one minute after the premiere, which is always, <laughs> I mean, or usually is a bad sign or is sure. is a, is a sign that Netflix doesn't have confidence in the quality of the movie. Right. Um, so I went into this thinking, oh, this isn't going to be much of anything. And I was really pleasantly surprised. I quite enjoyed it. Um, Although you're right, I think a lot of people have not been into it. And I I was watching when I posted my review and watching the kind of ups and downs of the Rotten Tomatoes rating to see it, Mm -hmm. you know, just get up to being fresh and then back down just below to being (laughs) rotten where I think it is. But it's really right on the cusp there. So I feel like it's it's very mixed. A lot of people didn't like it, but a lot of people really did. And I would have expected more consistent, positive reaction, I guess, because I was so pleasantly surprised with it.
0: Yeah, I I feel the same way, and uh, you know, we'll get into like what works and what doesn't work as we're going through puzzle pieces. But yeah, I'm not quite sure what it is people aren't connecting to this movie with. You know, I'm not sure why that is, but you know, maybe we'll get to the bottom of it while we're going through pieces. I have no idea. We'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, I liked the one I love. I didn't see his other one. Was it the Foundation? I think the Discovery. The Discovery. That's what it was called. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't. I didn't see that. It that's even worse, I think. Okay. And that
1: that also that Jason Siegel is the star of that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like was kind of miscast in that one. And uh the one I love, I I mean both of them, I felt like they had these intriguing premises mm-hmm. that just kind of he didn't seem to really know how to handle, maybe. Right. Um, and so I liked that this one too, I thought, oh, he reduced his ambitions. There's no like big sci-fi concepts about like the meaning of life going on here. It's just three people in a house with a gun, you know, and and it should,
0: it should be stated at the top of this. Part of that is to do a COVID movie, like to to do a pandemic thing. So sure.
1: Although like the one I love, I'm, I don't know if you were gonna, if I'm spoiling a puzzle piece here, but that, That also takes place almost entirely in like a single house and sure. has like three actors and probably could have been shot during COVID as well.
0: Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. So maybe he just likes doing that. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's get into some puzzle pieces. And Josh, you know me. Uh, I don't make as much time for older movies as I should. Uh, I watched a lot of Hitchcock back in high school. That's the last time I think I've watched any Hitchcock film, but there's so much Hitchcock in here. I thought maybe you could kick it off with uh, any specific Hitchcock influence you think you saw here, because clearly it's there.
1: Yeah, it is. And I, I mean, I've seen a lot of Hitchcock movies and um, not as much recently. I watched a lot of them in college uh, mm-hmm. and even took a whole class on Hitchcock at one point so it's been a little while since i've seen most of his films especially the most famous ones now if i watch a hitchcock movie it's usually like oh this lesser known one that i never got to see i'm going to check it out um so i was kind of glancing through the filmography to try to think of which one would fit best here and Mm. the one i picked out was strangers on a train um not only because of the hitchcock influence but also because of the patricia highsmith influence that i Mm -hmm. feel like is going on here um, and Strangers on a Train is adapted from a Patricia Highsmith novel as one of the most famous Highsmith adaptations. Um, so the the plot there is the strangers who meet on a train. They're both these kind of, at least one is like an upper class-ish kind of guy who wants to uh, get rid of the his inconvenient wife. And they trade... <laughs> The murders so that they won't theoretically be found out, right? They each decide to murder the other's uh, intended target. Sure. Um, and I guess it it sort of goes more like to the way later point of the movie and the ending even, um, where you kind of eventually realize that the real danger here in this movie is not from Jason Siegel's character, the home invader, who just really wants to get away and be safe himself. Right. Uh, But rather from these rich people who are devious and more than willing to resort to violence because they probably believe that they'll get away with it. And uh, that is exactly what happens at the end of the movie. And uh, I have every reason to believe, at least from my perspective, that the character who commits murder at the end of the movie will completely get away with it. Oh, yeah. Um, And that that also that level of kind of casual sociopathy is very Patricia Highsmith, Um, you know, not only Strangers on a Train, but uh, like the talented Mr. Ripley, which is the other uh, probably most famous Highsmith adaptation. It was interesting for me. I don't know how this worked for you schedule wise, but I watched this within a a couple of days of watching deep water, which of course is an actual Highsmith Mm -hmm. adaptation. And I thought this captured so much better, like the spirit of her work and the the deviousness of people and the kind of unknowable capacity that people have for like terrible acts uh, far better
0: than deep water did. So. Yeah, that, that's part of what I found so fun about this is just the idea that even if somebody's not a, a full-fledged sociopath, they, they all have a little bit of it underneath, you know, in their tendencies a little bit. And in this movie, yeah, all three characters, this is just a straight-up three character except for the gardener comes in at one point later on. Uh, but all of them are pretty awful, like really when it comes down to it, and I love that about it. Yeah, and I mean, if we want to
1: expand a little on Hitchcock, I thought about also mentioning Rear Window because it has that, sure. uh, you know, basically single location, uh, people stuck in the same place kind of feel, um, or also rope, which also takes place in a single location. And like mm-hmm. this movie with its COVID limitations, rope is shot um, in a kind of limit, purposely limited way. It looks like as, as if it's all one take. I mean, it's not, but it's it's structured that way. And is, you know, a couple of of people trying to hide the crime that they've committed, which is something going on here. So you could throw those in for Hitchcock as
0: well. Sure. And Rear Window is probably the one that I had like on my list as to probably bring up. But thank you for filling in the blanks for me there. So... I'll go to my my first piece then, uh, which would be the Oscar winner from a couple of years ago, *Parasite*, Bong Joon Ho's film, with a uh, a family of poor people who disguise themselves to work for this family of rich people and kind of work their way into living in their house, and uh, kind of everybody is terrible, uh, <laughs> and that's kind of why I uh, really had a great time with the movie *Parasite* and. It's funny because a lot of people, I think maybe don't view it quite that way. Like, like straight up. No, they're just the rich people are bad and the poor people are great. But I think everybody's kind of at least some shade of bad there. And that's kind of like goes back to what we were talking about with uh, with the characters in this movie, jason siegel. he's He's robbing the this tech billionaire. But um, you know, the tech billionaire is a piece of shit. And the 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 tech billionaire's wife is just along for the ride, maybe not as bad, but uh, she's certainly benefiting from this marriage. And uh, Jason Siegel, not a good guy, but still robbing people. But, you know, there's just so many shades of that. And I think that that makes it so much fun and is something that I thought was so greatly explored in Parasite.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the other things about that, especially like in Parasite, is that you do have that perspective at first, like these poor people, they're scammers, but they're just doing what they have to do to get by. And the rich people are terrible. And over time, I think the poor people, the more they insinuate themselves into the lives of the rich people, the more they're sort of infected by sure. it. The the parasite uh, goes both ways. And, yeah. and Jason Siegel talks about in this movie, he's like you know, I got greedy. Like, I just wanted to kind of hang out in the house and see what it was like to be you, but I couldn't resist. You know, yeah. he was about to leave, but he had to come back and steal some jewelry and steal some cash. And he's he's also kind of corrupted by it. And that's what puts him in this position where all these terrible things start to happen. If he had just left initially like he had planned to, the movie wouldn't have existed because he would yeah. have been gone and they wouldn't have noticed anything and it would have been all fine. So... I think there is that too the idea of the proximity, even if the poor people are better, that Mm -hmm. the longer they spend in the world of the rich people, the worse
0: they get. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll just say, like, you know, since I'm defending this movie, I feel like a lot from a lot of people, I'm going to pepper in things that I like along the way. But I, I love that, like the small expectations of his own plan. Like I'm just going to go hang out at this guy's house and maybe grab a little money, but like it didn't have like a big plan in mind. And I just think that that's so funny basically, you know, it's just, it's just such a, a, a silly thing to do such a huge criminal act. But for not expecting much out of it, you know, I just think that's great. Right. And I mean, he has to be
1: goaded into demanding all the money that he demands. Yep. And I, I do think you're right that that the humor in this movie is is a bit underrated from people who have dismissed it, that yeah. it is dry humor, but it, there's a lot of funny stuff going on here. Certainly. Absolutely. So what do you got next? Well, I'm speaking of comedy, I'll pick up a movie that we actually did on an episode of Awesome Movie Year called The sure. Ref uh, <laughs> with Dennis Leary uh, as a criminal who sort of reluctantly takes hostage a wealthy couple played by Kevin Spacey and Judy Davis and ends up in the middle of their marital difficulties. Um, Mm -hmm. and that movie is obviously played a lot more broadly than this movie. And it has a lot more characters who kind of come in and out as he attempts to not be caught. Um, but I think that same dynamic of this guy who really is just trying to get away and is unable to do so in part because he's drawn into the, the drama between these two bitter married people is, is a lot of, of what's going on here as well. And Jason Siegel underplays, whereas obviously Dennis Leary is all about going very big, big as, and, yeah. and especially in that movie. And I'm not a big fan as I mean, we talked about an awesome movie year. I don't really love that movie. A lot of people really, really do. But, um, I think the dynamic there is, is very similar to what's going on here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. On my list as well. And right. by the way, I, our 94 season of Awesome Movie Year was a long time ago. Did we discuss the fact that Kevin Spacey got kidnapped in two movies that year or like tied up in some I way? don't know with, that we did because I swimming think- Swimming with Sharks? We never right? talked
1: about it. I've never seen Swimming with Sharks. And that was a movie that we, I think, talked about doing an episode on and then never did. So right, um, right. I don't think it ever
0: came up. That's almost like a Armageddon Deep Impact situation.
1: <laughs> that, that would happen twice in one year. It's insane. Yeah, yeah it's just people People realize that Kevin Spacey seemed to be deserving of
0: being kidnapped. I don't know. I, I guess so, yeah. So, uh, I'll go for my next one. A very, very, very different movie, but uh, talking about tech billionaires and just how shitty and privileged they are. Ex Machina with Oscar Isaac playing a uh, tech billionaire who invites uh, a coder to come to his house and do this science experiment with this AI bot. And, um, yeah, I mean, just seeing his like totally, you know, insulated world where he basically gets any and everything he wants and really doesn't have to answer to anybody until all of a sudden kind of the shit hits the fan for him. And that's a kind of similar situation here. It's just, uh, it, done in a very different way. And has a cool house well tech billionaires if you if if you're a billionaire you should have a cool house you know you
1: really should i mean we yeah. should acknowledge that you know it's covid is the reason why they film this movie all in the one house but who however they found it whoever owns this actual house is a really cool house. It was a good yeah. choice. <laughs> yeah.
0: I like that he has a sauna and he's like, I don't feel like a Schwitz right now. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Jesse Plemons gets to uh, really have fun with this role, which you never really get to see very often. You
1: know. Right. Right. He, he's often cast as like the nice guy. You know, yeah. he has that sort of, I mean, he's got an Oscar nomination for playing that, you know, the like one upstanding character in The Power of the Dog. Yeah. Um, and so he, he's clearly having fun here being a very not nice guy. Yes, absolutely. So what do you got next? Well, I'll piggyback on that whole tech billionaire thing and mention The Social Network, the Mm -hmm. David Fincher film about the founding of Facebook, starring Jesse Eisenberg as Mark Zuckerberg. And I I think in general, there is kind of a Fincher-esque sort of preciseness to this film, the shot selection and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I was thinking also of Panic Room. In terms sure. of the kind of home invasion thing although there's like a lot more action and uh, you know suspense and whatever in panic room but i mean the character jesse plemons is playing here is definitely channeling not only like mark zuckerberg but jesse eisenberg as mark zuckerberg and mm-hmm. the whole uh i think playing with that nice guy image too that the the guy who looks like sort of a meek nerd who turns out to really be this ruthless uh you know sociopath and that's basically what he is and having that that sense of entitlement and also this sort of persecution complex that even though you are a billionaire uh, who is uh, shaping the course of the world, feeling like everyone's out to get you and he says, you know, try being a rich white guy these days or whatever <laughs> yeah. at one point, which is absolutely something that you could imagine uh, Jesse Eisenberg saying in sure. you know the later part of the social network or something. So it, it, certainly at least for that, character type, I think they're, they're channeling a lot of that.
0: Yeah. I hadn't thought of the social network, but that, I mean, totally makes sense. That's something, everything Mark Zuckerberg would say here, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I did have panic room though on my list. I mean like uh, panic room without the action, without a panic room, you know, <laughs> it's just, right. let's just uh, keep them out in the open. But yeah, absolutely. A lot of Fincher, I think in this, you know, just more dark comics. So I guess, yeah, more towards the social network and vibe. So uh, yeah, uh, I like that for sure. Uh, I'll go to another piece here. Um, I'm going to go with Reservoir Dogs, Tarantino's debut uh, feature. You know, these three characters, we, we never get their names. They're completely unnamed. Uh, we don't get to know much about them. We're never really explicitly told that much about them, except for what kind of just comes up in conversation at various moments, and... Uh, they're all stuck in this one location. And so you've got so many little parallels to the way that the story unfolds and how you get to know the characters between these two movies. Uh, And, you know, of course, you also know that, you know, it's going to explode into violence at some point by the end of the story, even though it's kind of a slow burn leading up to it.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this is a lot less violent than a Tarantino movie, but um, certainly that. I mean, you could even mention The Hateful Eight uh, Uh with all of these people kind of trapped in one place and the tensions continuing to rise as all of their various motivations, uh, come to light or whatever. So, um, Tarantino, I feel like would not be able to make a movie this subdued though. Right. It's not within his (laughs) skill set.
0: Yeah. He, he, he'd he'd tell Jesse Plemons like, You're going big, but I want bigger. Just keep going. Yeah, dial it up. Yeah, Yeah. and Jason
1: Segel too. I mean, he really, you know, he's known for being this goofy comedy actor and he really dials that way back Mm -hmm. uh, in this film, which I feel like he's done, you know, like in the Discovery, the last uh, Charlie McDowell film and also his uh, TV series, Dispatches from Elsewhere, which I think Charlie McDowell directed at least one episode of that. Um, Mm -hmm. He goes so far in the other direction of being quiet And, uh, sort of timid that it's almost, it's almost too much. And I think there's a good balance of that here better Mm -hmm. than maybe in some of those other, uh, performances.
0: Sure. Yeah. I I think also Tarantino's version of this, uh, would kind of end similarly. Uh, with, with Lily Collins uh killing everyone and getting away. So at yeah. least we have that similarity. So. that's
1: true. Although he'd have like a nice like badass hero shot with some sort of yeah. like seventies rock gem playing sure. as yeah. she struts out of the house mm-hmm. out into the world and uh I don't know. He'd uh, he'd manage to to probably put her in some open toed shoes there as yeah, well. That- Absolutely,
0: but people would like the movie, so uh, you know that is true. Too. That is true. People would like it more than they like this, unfortunately. <laughs> so, what do you got for your next piece?
1: Well, I'm going to go back, uh, way back into the past again, uh, and mention "Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf," the uh, Mike Nichols film with uh, with Elizabeth Taylor. That is based on a play, and this movie is is of course not based on a play, but you could see it that way. I mean, because it's that self contained single location kind of story, you could imagine these characters just literally in one location, just sitting on a stage, you know, talking or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's a movie where, again, it's about, it was about two couples and that seem on the surface to kind of have their relationships uh, together. And then uh, as the movie goes on, they uh, all of their dysfunction comes out. Uh, Of course, in that movie, they get increasingly drunk. Which is not something that happens here, sure. but um, the, the also the the kind of back and forth, um, the dialogue that that tends to go in circles sometimes, and I didn't find that su- too much in this film. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly it's, it's an element of this, of the characters just kind of rehashing their issues and their problems with each other because they have nothing else to do. They're sitting there and they're stuck together. And so every little thing is just going to come up and come up again and come up again. So sure. um, I think there's, there's definitely an element of that here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I was considering bringing up Malcolm and Marie, uh, as another pandemic films, you, know. you would. yeah, it was, it was on my possibilities list. And of course that inspired heavily by who's afraid of a Virginia wolf and also another movie that people hate very, very much. Uh, which I feel I like know. people don't hate this movie. Like right, they're just right. kind of like, nah, this
1: wasn't yeah, great, but
0: it's, it's a two and a half or a three at most for most people. You know? Right. But yeah. I, yeah, Malcolm and Marie v- inspired a lot of very strong responses. Yes, absolutely. And understandably so, but maybe I just like that. So, well, I know
1: Uh, that you do. That's why I just assumed it was going to come up because (laughs) you've mentioned it so many times and I still have not seen it.
0: You know what? I, I only have one more piece. So maybe we'll make Malcolm and Maria an official piece, even though it was on my maybes list. Yeah. Malcolm okay. and Marie puzzle piece here. Yes. All right. That, it's Put it one. in there. Yeah. Plus, yes. like we said, it, you know, inspired by the idea of making something simple during the pandemic. Uh, that, that's a whole nother reason to include it on the list.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a whole like subgenre. I thought about including I've I've reviewed because I review a lot of these like small, like straight to VOD movies so many of those movies these days are just like we have a large house and three actors and most of them are really bad and i didn't really want to i thought about bringing up i don't know if you saw the netflix movie intrusion um which takes place in a very it's very bad don't see it um Mm. but there's a lot of those kinds of movies um there was one i've already forgotten the title that i reviewed recently that had like john malkovich in it and it was took place in this sort of like smart home anyway It's certainly Malcolm and Marie is a better example because it's it's a bit more it's more artistically ambitious than these other films and and was seen more. But certainly there are many, many filmmakers over the past couple of years who thought the way we can make a movie now is just find a house and put everyone in it. And uh, it's it's away from everything else. And we'll come up with a story later the movie industry is in a very healthy place right now. (laughs) I mean, it's a pandemic. You can't blame the movie industry for the pandemic. Of course. (laughs) So what do you got next? Uh, well, I also just, I have one more. Um, and, and this is uh, like the Hitchcock thing, kind of a stand in for a whole subset of movies in Mm -hmm. film noir, uh, which are movies where a criminal holds a family hostage, which is like a, a huge thing. So, uh, The one that i picked is he ran all the way uh starring john garfield as a criminal who's running from the cops and hides out in this apartment with a family and holds them hostage as uh, he's trying to uh, evade capture over time and you know also has this dynamic that i think is going on a little bit in in windfall where the hostage or one or more of the hostages starts to sort of form a bond with the criminal, you know, a bit of Stockholm syndrome going on here, um, which is uh, not quite here. I mean, you have Jesse Plemons telling Lily Collins, like, get close to him, and she doesn't really follow that. But uh, nobody's bonds are like
0: 100%. Right.
1: You imagine that that could happen and they play with it a little bit um shelly winters in he ran all the way plays i think she's uh, maybe a teenager or early 20s or something she's meant to be like the daughter of this family and she really becomes uh, goes from kind of wholesome to unhinged as mm. the movie progresses and and it gives a really good performance so it's uh it's 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 a noir so it's more uh i mean there's more incident in it it's more suspenseful it's a very sweaty movie if i remember correctly um (laughs) you know a lot of a lot of characters feeling tense and and having this like stress sweat going on but there's a million of those movies i think the most famous one is the desperate hours with humphrey bogart and frederick march which i have not seen so i didn't want to have that as my piece but i saw he ran all the way at the tcm festival one year and uh is is a great acting showcase that does almost exclusively
0: i think take place just like
1: in this single uh, apartment
0: absolutely i i've never seen it but uh, as far as like noir influence um one of the things i know we both agreed about that's great about this movie is the score which yes is very noir like kind of influenced i would say and uh probably one of my favorite scores of the year so far just really great stuff
1: yeah me too i loved it i could definitely see this being you know my top pick for the best score at the yeah. end of the year, even if this movie overall isn't like on my top 10 list or anything, that is
0: one of the best aspects of it. Absolutely. So uh, my last piece, just in general, Coen brothers, uh, I, I guess Fargo I would use as like the, the closest thing, but basically criminals that are just not as smart as they think they are and have really poorly thought out plans. And you know, everything that could go wrong goes wrong for them. And that that's kind of a theme through a lot of Coen brothers or Coen inspired type of thrillers uh, where it's as much a dark comedy as it is a thriller, uh, maybe even more dark comedy than a thriller, really. But uh, yeah, I love that kind of thing. And it's always so fun to watch, like, what could possibly go wrong next. And it just keeps going wrong. Right. And I think that goes back to the theme of
1: the idea that this was something really easy for the main character until suddenly yeah. it really, really wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the title, too, before seeing this movie, the title made me think of those movies about where, like, uh, to pick another Coen Brothers movie, No Country for Old Men, where mm-hmm. somebody suddenly stumbles across a a windfall, a bunch of money sure. that they don't know where it came from, and they decide to keep it, and bad things keep going on and on and on. I mean, you could talk about, like, a simple plan, which is not a Coen Brothers movie, but is very right. Coen Brothers influenced, certainly. Sure. So. Yeah. I mean, it's a little less that because there's no, I mean, there's a bag of money eventually, but he doesn't stumble across it. It's very difficult for him to acquire that
0: bag of money. (laughs) Very much. And it's almost given to him in a way. So, right. I mean, it
1: is, but, but then the, 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 uh, effort to get it there or whatever is, uh, is quite, is quite involved. So it would
0: probably be really difficult as a tech billionaire to get just Was it 500,000? Yeah, that's what they settle
1: on. And right. You don't think about that, especially nowadays when everything is electronic, the idea that he needs a bag of cash, you know, brought to his house. But I did like that or the one other thing, and this is probably not really a puzzle piece, but one other thing that I thought of when they have the long discussion about how heavy uh, cash really is, was Mm -hmm. the movie Triple Frontier which I don't know if you've seen that, but the entire plot hinges on the idea that huge amounts of cash are extremely difficult to transport. Sure.
0: Yeah. Well, that was a, that was a big criticism of Zack Snyder's army of the dead, that they were going to get millions of dollars in like gold. I think it was out of like a casino on a a little helicopter. And it was like, that was a stupid plot point, you know? (laughs) I mean, Sorry, sorry to our buddy, Chad, but that movie yes. is full of stupid plot points. <laughs> yes, <it laughs> very much is. All right. Before we get too far into Zack Snyder discussions oh, here, uh, let's do our finished puzzle. Uh, we, of course, talked about a bunch of Hitchcock, including Strangers on a Train and Rear Window and Rope. Uh, then we went to Parasite, The Ref. I brought Swimming with Sharks in there as well. Ex Machina, The Social Network, Panic Room, Reservoir Dogs, and The Hateful Eight. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Malcolm and Marie. He ran all the way, and the Cohen brothers, specifically Fargo, but uh, a bunch of other cohen related stuff, too. So, yeah, uh, I I think we got to a lot of the things that, like, I don't know, that that I just thought were so fun about this movie. I mean, I love where it ends up. I, I love the interplay between these three characters. I love that we, you know, like I said when talking about Reservoir Dogs, that we never quite get to know that much about them, just what's needed in the moment. It all just feels very very specific and uh I don't know. I think it's a very smart screenplay and uh done nice and tight. Yeah, I I agree. And I feel like this is a
1: movie that, you know, maybe it won't be on my top ten list at the end of the year, but when we get to the end of the year and people are talking about underrated movies or stuff that kind of got forgotten and went under the radar or whatever, this is absolutely one that I, I would bring up that I think people are are kind of uh sleeping on or, or not giving its full due. So yeah. I, yeah, I liked it a lot, and I was glad that we were doing this episode because I know this was not a high profile film necessarily that a lot of right. people were rushing out to see. And weirdly, I, you know, going back to Deep Water, I feel like this being released around the same time is just like that was the sort of throwback retro kind of thriller that everyone was paying attention to, and is so much worse,
0: way worse. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I think that does it for Windfall. Josh, uh, do you have another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners?
1: Yeah, I'm going to recommend a movie called Hellbender, which is streaming on Shudder uh, and AMC Plus and I think is on demand via some cable systems. I don't know. But it's mainly, it's a Shudder original. Um, mm. And this is a super low-budget horror movie from the Adams family, this uh, family of filmmakers. Um who I, I find them fascinating. And this is actually the only film of theirs I've seen thus far, but I really want to see more of their work. And it is a uh, mother, father and two daughters who are at this point, um, getting into their like late teens, early twenties, but they've been making films all together since these two daughters were younger. And it's not just like one of those things like the Cohen brothers or something where it's like, Oh, these siblings, they're the directors and the writers. like, when they say when I say they make the films together, like they're the writers, directors, cinematographers, editors, set designers, costume mm. designers, they're the stars. Um, they wrote all the music. I mean, it's amazing. This movie, I think just some of the special effects and and a few obviously other performances uh are credited to other people. But this is it's a it's an eerie horror movie about a mother and daughter who live, oh, in a large isolated house in the middle Mm -hmm. of nowhere, because it was shot during the pandemic, Um, (laughs) and have this kind of supernatural legacy of being witches. But the way they conceive of witches or hellbenders, as they call them in this movie, is very creative in its unique. um, And again, I think driven in part by the limitations of producing a movie with a low budget in a single location. Um, But they really take creative approaches to the mythology of it. Um, And it has great interplay. I mean, the fact that the mother and daughter are real mother and daughter gives that an extra level of resonance. Mm -hmm. It's just off kilter and weird, but effective. And it's fascinating to me the way that this family has created their own little industry. You know, the kind of thing that could be outsider art in like a gawking at it way like Tommy Wiseau or something mm. um, because they're just so removed from any sort of system of filmmaking. But it's not like that. I mean, it's, it's good. It's not a so bad. It's good kind of thing. It's genuinely artistically impressive. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the more attention they've been getting, the the more resources they'll have, but I hope they don't go too far because the fact that they do it all themselves is what's really appealing. And they're so good at all of it. I mean, they're good actors and the mother and daughter uh, in this movie have like their own little like punk rock duo. And hmm. so they wrote all these like really catchy punk rock songs and like all nice. of it is just really well done. So hellbender.
0: Nice. Uh, that sounds pretty cool. And yeah, I mean, who knows, maybe we'll end up covering one of these people's uh, films at some point on the show.
1: Yeah, I definitely be. I'm not sure what they're doing next, but whatever it is, I'd, I'd be interested
0: to, to talk about it. Very cool. Well, Josh, what's going on over on awesome movie here. What is going on? So many things.
1: Uh, oh, no. we, we are talking about the films of 1980 In our latest season so i'm not sure what episode is about to come up as this comes out but uh as usual we're going through a whole bunch of categories we've talked about a box office champion and debut feature and we got to talk about heaven's gate as the Mm. biggest flop of the year which is also one of the most famous flops ever so that was, that was pretty fascinating discussion. So that, that may or may not be out or about to be out when this is coming out, but sounds about right. Yeah. Check out awesome movie for all our episodes, uh, awesome movie year on uh, Facebook and Instagram, awesome movie pod on uh Twitter. Uh, I think that's right to uh, check out all our social Doing media
0: my head and there.
1: our, and our various <laughs> episodes. So, uh, yeah, we're, it's season 11 It's amazing. We've been going for this long. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of episodes, a lot
0: of movies that people can go check out Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's been fun. So we'll keep doing it. And where can people find you, Josh?
1: I can be found at joshbellhateseverything.com. Josh Bell hates everything on Facebook and at signal bleed on Twitter. And if you are in Vegas, you can watch me on KTNV channel 13
0: on the Fridays at 11 AM show. Awesome. Well, Josh, thanks as always for being here. And I always look forward to getting you back on. Yeah, can't wait. We are like the Maury Povich of podcasts. People come to this show because it's a train wreck.
1: I'm giving this podcast three stars. The coast keeps yelling at me.
0: The people have clearly spoken. Check out Whatever with Jason Soto on Anchor, Apple, Google, wherever you get awesome podcasts, or you can go to the home location at rabbitholepodcast.com. Second thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about urination. I want to talk about peeing specifically. See what happens when Jason throws out the segments. This is what we get instead. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Windfall. And by the way, shout out to film critic Noah Gattel, who's been on the show before. He had thrown the puzzle piece of the ref uh, my way on my letterbox review of the film. So uh, I always love when people get in touch to tell me what puzzle pieces they think we should be including on the show. So thank you to Noah Gattel and thanks to Josh Bell for joining me on that one and if you're not yet you should be subscribed to Josh's podcast Awesome Movie Year which you'll of course hear me on as well Uh, check out Awesome Movie Year wherever you're listening to Piecing It Together and while you're at it make sure you're subscribed to both podcasts and drop five star reviews on both podcasts we really appreciate it when you do that also make sure you're following us on social media at Piecing Pod join our Facebook group Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces where we can continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And uh, like I said at the top of the show, do not forget about our Patreon, the produced by David Rosen Patreon, where we currently have episodes on X and Uncharted and uh, whatever else we record and don't have time to schedule in yet and are going to plan for the VOD releases or some other in-the-future release date. You know, anytime there's something uh, in advance that I could post on there, I do. And we'll be posting all kinds of other advance and bonus content. Uh, From Awesome Movie Year, we just recently posted a special exclusive episode on 1999's American Pie. And I'm going to be posting another one of my album-length commentaries for one of my albums, uh, very soon, as well as some previews of music I'm working on for my next album. So, lots of great stuff over there. Patreon.com slash Rosen. So, speaking of my music, let's close this out with a piece of my music like we always do. And, I don't know, what should I play for this one? Um, I'm going to go with the track. I don't think I've played this one in a while. This is from my second album, An Unseen Sky. Kind of just a random pick here, but uh, I'm going to play a track called Every Little Bit. Uh, I wonder if I've ever played this on here. I don't know. Maybe I haven't. Anyway, it's a cool track, so check it out. It's Every Little Bit. Uh, Again, the album is An Unseen Sky, so I hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.